The Law Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's Law Report program. Well, this evening we're taking a look at your credit with my guest, Jacqueline Boucher, legal advisor at the National Credit Regulator. Jacqueline, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, just to put you in the picture, the National Credit Regulator, or the NCR, was established as the regulator under the National Credit Act 34 of 2005, and it's responsible for the regulation of the South African credit industry. It's tasked with carrying out education, research, policy development, registration of industry participants, investigation of complaints, and ensuring enforcement of the Act. Now, the Act requires the regulator to promote the development of an accessible credit market, particularly to address the needs of historically disadvantaged persons, low-income persons and remote, isolated or low-density communities. The NCR is also tasked with the registration of credit providers, credit bureau and debt collectors and enforcement of compliance with the Act. Well, Before we begin, just a reminder that there's a list of available documents, including a copy of the National Credit Act and also some information on the National Credit Amendment Bill on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of those documents, you can post a message on Facebook, but please remember to include your email address. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, you can email me on law at safm.co.za and I can send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. If you have any questions regarding your credit or anything to do with credit, you can call us on 0892 10 2010. Jacqueline, I gave a very brief synopsis of what the NCR is all about. Do you want to just fill that in a little bit more? I'll be more than willing to. Uh, As a regulator, we obviously continually assess and monitor the market to ascertain trends, uh, new credit products that come out and areas that needs to be developed. We've been tasked with um, looking at the National Credit Act and improving on same, as you can see with the National Credit Amendment Bill, the uh, removal of adverse information bill, which has come out recently, and then discussions around affordability assessment guidelines. We have a zero tolerance uh, policy against people that break the provisions of the Act, do not adhere to these guidelines, and um, take advantage of um, unknowing consumers, but equally balancing the rights of consumers, their duties, and the rights and duties of credit providers and industry participants. Now, there has been a little bit of confusion about this removal of adverse information bill. I actually received an email from Ernest, and he says here, I'm was garnished, meaning I'm in ITC. I heard from the minister that soon I'll be off the hook, but I have to continue paying the debt. Now, that's, I've had a, no, he's not the only one. I've had a number of people who think that the bill means that whatever they're owing is suddenly going to just disappear. Of course. We've we've heard that and that's why we're trying to bring a strong message across to consumers to let them understand that it doesn't mean you're off the hook as in you do not need to pay your debts, you've entered into a valid agreement, you have received certain benefits in terms of those agreements and you have to adhere to that agreement. What it means though is that any adverse listing, adverse classification or paid up judgments in relation to those debts will be removed. That being done without you needing to apply for it other than in a judgment where you've paid up the debt and you need to obviously give proof of that after the uh, 
adverse information bill has come into place. So basically what that means is if, if you've had debt in the past and you've been blacklisted and your name is now on that blacklist, that will be removed or immediately you've paid your debt in full. Only for judgments, the adverse classifications, that being you're a bad payer, you're a slow payer, you've disappeared, adverse um, information as to, um, you know, you haven't paid your debts and they've made adverse information on your bureau, that will automatically be removed from the 1st of April. After the 1st of April, if those conducts um, do reappear, a credit provider has the right to list you. But as of any pre-existing information in terms of adverse information or classifications were automatically removed, the only provisos in terms of judgments that need to be paid up. Okay, so basically you almost start, well not almost, you are starting with a clean slate at that point. At that point in terms of adverse information, but your payment profile will still remain. So credit providers can still have a look at payment profiles that won't disappear, how you've been managing your accounts. Are they then under this new, well, hopefully when the Act comes into place, will they then be allowed to decline your application for credit based on that information then? Not on the previous information. The bill's quite clear on that. Previous information that has been removed may not be taken into consideration when applying for credit. The payment profile, however, will obviously give an indication on how you manage your accounts, but a scoring reduction in terms of adverse information cannot be taken into account. So if they're looking at your payment profile, though, they can see that you actually maybe paid for two months, didn't pay for five months, then paid a little bit and then paid another little bit somewhere else. Can that actually lead to them not granting your, your credit? Well, every credit provider needs to do their assessment mechanisms based on their internal uh, you know, pro- procedures. It doesn't necessarily mean that they can or they cannot give you credits. It's just an indication to them what kind of risk you pose to them when they want to enter into an agreement with you. I'm just wanting my listeners to be quite clear that this doesn't mean that suddenly there's going to be no record of anything you ever did wrong in the past or if you're still not paying properly now, even from the 1st of April, it will be visible to your credit providers. Of course. So it is going to be there. The only thing that's going to change is that your name will not stay on that blacklist. How long did it used to stay on there before? It's dependent on what kind of listing there was. There were some listings which remained for a year. There were some listings which remained for two years, adverse listings. And then obviously judgments which remained uh, for five years or until rescinded. And this is one of the great things about the judgments is, is that a consumer does not need to go through that court procedure, which sometimes is lengthy and costly. Now, just by virtue of paying a debt, they can have that information removed. Now, this amendment bill, though, it it goes far wider than just that one particular point. The other thing that I was rather happy to see on there was that it will also help achieve coordinated enforcement action to deal with reckless practices within the industry. So we had a caller a couple of weeks ago who had borrowed money from the bank when she was unemployed and now couldn't pay it back and they were wanting to repossess her house. And she was very upset with the bank. Um, That kind of thing, will that now also be looked at? I think that uh, that provision has always been there. Reckless lending was a provision that was brought in in terms of, Mm. you know, the act initially. It's just given a lot more muscle to the tribunal, to the regulator to have a look at those uh, at face value. Consumers don't only need to go to court. They can now apply to the tribunal in terms of reckless credit agreements or reckless allegations.
Just a reminder, you're tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is The Law Report. My guest tonight is Jacqueline Boucher, legal advisor at the National Credit Regulator. And if you have any questions regarding any problems you might be having with your credit, please give us a call on 0892 10 2010. 0892 10 2010. The other thing, as I said, there's a number of things on here which are actually rather interesting and there's another one this the administration and collection of debts will also be reviewed that's that's something else that people have a lot of issues with that well, yes, that's a proposal that's been put forth. Obviously, mm. we need to understand that this is not the final draft. No. It's out for public comment. Industry players, consumers, everyone is welcome to comment on the bill. But obviously, there has been an, uh, a need for us, you know, the industry raising this. Uh, in terms of certain practices which have been seen. So, yeah, I would also, you know, appreciate if that went through. So I will actually have this bill on that they can, my listeners can actually ask me to send it to them if they'd like to have a look at it, and then they are welcome to comment on this bill. Well, they can look at the DTR website. There are public hearings which are Mm. open, and there are specific dates in terms of written submissions which the um, comments had to be in already, but there are public hearings at the moment. Okay, and so they can see where they are. They do have some, some voice if they need to have a voice as well. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've seen a lot in the press, though, as well, is this illegal credit providers. And I think a lot of that at the time was linked to SASA cards. And people were, were having to sort of hand over the cards, you know, to get some credit. It, it was an awful situation. I think it might even still be going on. But that's something else, hopefully, that will be looked at in this bill as well. Well, it's, it's already in the previous, uh, you know, or in the current mm. Standing Act. And it is something that the regulator actually takes a strong stance again. We have a lot of operations right around the country uh, co- coordinated with uh, the local police. And we've, you know, you can have a look at our website and in the, the press where we've had these um, credit providers apprehended. The cards have been confiscated and criminal cases have been lodged. It is a criminal offence to take someone's cards, pins, identity documents in lieu of a credit agreement. And then the other thing that we also have a number of questions about that on the show over the over the months that we do is the collection on, and the, the selling and collection of prescribed or extinguished debt. And a lot of companies, well, not a lot, but a number of them, do sell expired debt books without telling the consumers that this has been done. And then people are phoning them up and trying to get them to agree to pay this off. And once they agree, obviously, the debt starts running again. I think that's why the amendments have been proposed. Consumers need to be aware, as it currently stands, prescription is only a defense in law. And therefore, in terms of the amendment, that situation might change. But um, as it stands, it's a defense in law which needs to be argued when action is taken against them. So what, what at the moment, what can the consumers do if this happens to them? My advice always to consumers is to say that if you believe that your debt is prescribed, you put that in writing to the person that is trying to collect on the debt to say that, you know, I believe that this debt has prescribed. If they do take further action, then you've already raised the defense and you can raise the defense further. Obviously, if the bill goes through, that's, that situation will be slightly different uh, and the remedies will be different. So it sounds like this is a very promising addition to the National Credit Act. Yes. It sounds like it could be do, do all of us a whole lot of good, I think, in the... Um, in, in the future. And while we're on that though, Jacqueline, can we just go through some of the rights that consumers have? I was looking on the on the NCR website and there are a number of rights that us as South African consumers have. Do you want to just tell us what those rights are? Well, consumer has a right to apply for credit. 
That does not necessarily mean you have a right to be granted credit. Remember, a credit provider has the right to decline credit on the basis of the affordabilities that they've done and commercial grounds. Another right is a right to have documentation in plain and understandable language. I think that's a shift that's happened internationally in terms of plain and understandable language, that documents are not, you know, disguised in legal jargon, which is not you know, accessible and understandable to consumers. You have a right to have um, adverse information or to challenge credit bureau listings. You have a right to have documents in your own language. Those are just some of the rights that you have. So if you're wanting to find out exactly what all your rights are, I would suggest you go to the website. It's www.ncr.org.za. There's a lot of information on there which will help a lot of you if you're having problems. Really, definitely something worthwhile to look at. We had a call from Ibrahim. Is he on the line? Yes, Ibrahim's there. Ibrahim, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, dear. Hi. You have a problem, Ibrahim. Would you like to share the problem with us? Yeah, well, yeah, it's more, more, it's more irritant than a problem, to be honest with you. But what, what is happening is I've got a charge card, and um, at, and I've got a limit on that charge card, and at every at, at the end of every month, my duty is to settle that specific card. Now the limit that I've got on that card is like something like two thousand rand, and um, every month the provider gives me more. So so so, and my my question is around that: Don't I have a duty to? like automatically decline you if you go over your limit because obviously the limit has been calculated in terms of your affordability. Is that is that not correct? Can I just ask a question? When you say charge card, how is it run? Is it something that they give you X amount per month? At the end of the month, you need to pay back that capital with fees? Uh, well, it's, it's, well, if you don't mind me naming the place over the No, phone. well, just to say, is it, is it a store card? Is it a it's self- not a store card. It's like a, it's, it's a, um, it's a diners club card, you know, so. Oh, so like, like a, a credit card. Like a credit card, okay. yeah. But, okay. but the, the, the duty is just for you to, to pay the card at the end of the month and you need to settle the outstanding balance, you know. So instead of paying like a, a monthly payment, you, you pay, pay the, the, full, you pay the full amount. Right? Correct, yeah. Yeah. The the act does prescribe though for like what you're speaking of as a credit facility. The credit facilities, the act does prescribe that a credit provider is entitled to increase a limit marginally to honor a say credit transaction which has exceeded your limit, uh, but it may only be a temporary increase. That could be done in terms of the um, consent of a consumer sometimes that consent is where you have swiped a card and it, i'm talking a very minimal you know you've gone into a store your limit is say 500 and you swipe for 570 580 you know it's a minimal little increase no, that's but not they're the not allowed to just increase your um credit limit they have to do that by consent if there are large increases on any credit facility you need a consumer's consent yeah she sometimes my wife will say it's a dual card but we operate on the same on the same limit so i don't necessarily most of the time know what she spends and at the end of the day, they almost double the account, and in some cases, triple. You know, so wow. so. And at the end of the month, the expectation is that they're able to, to 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 take all the money from your account. So Have you given them that, written instructions not to do that? Because obviously, by giving your wife a card, you're giving her authority to transact on this. Have you given, I have. Yeah. Have you given written construct, instructions to say that this specific limit should not be exceeded? 
I have complained to them already and they said they would investigate but they've never come back. Let me suggest that you maybe put a complaint in writing to us so that we can have a look at that matter for you with any correspondence that you've got back from that specific entity. Okay, I can do that. And Jacqueline, would he email that to you at complaints at NCR or was there something more direct that you want him to send it to you? No, no, complaints at ncr.org.za is for all complaints which relate to credit providers, credit bureaus, those sorts of institutions. And then we have another email address, which is dccomplaints at ncr.org.za. And that's for anyone that's under debt review and is experiencing issues against a debt counsellor or a credit provider, etc. Is there a website that you can go to to get the, the email addresses, etc.? Yes, you can get it on www.ncr.org.za. And there is a tab that says how to lodge a complaint. Perfect. Thanks so much. Thanks, Abraham. Well, good luck okay. with that. Thanks so much. Thanks Bye-bye. for getting through. Good night to you. You tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is the Law Report. My guest tonight is Jacqueline Barcher, legal advisor at the National Credit Regulator, and we're discussing credit. So if you have any questions about credits or your credit review or problems with any service providers, please, you can give us a call on 0892 10 0892 10 2010. Jacqueline, it's, it's long past now that that companies and credit providers can just increase limits without telling you that they're doing it? It has to go to affordability and that's where it's linked to. When an assessment is done on a consumer, you're obviously having a look at what they can afford and there's mutual agreement between the parties as to what I can afford. There's disclosure up front to say if you exceed this limit, this will be your monthly premiums. So yes, unilateral changes to an agreement is no longer allowed. However, I'm, I'm raising it again. The Act does allow for some increases in a credit limit, but it, it is quite minimal. So that's what would be almost if you've made, made it, you charge something to your card, for example, and you're slightly over the limit. They're not going to decline the entire transaction. They will let that slide. But that shouldn't be, as in Ibrahim's case, tripling his limit every month. No, that does not seem correct. No, but you know, on the other hand, you should keep more of an eye on what you're spending as of well. Of course. You know, so and it's not all saying, up to them. Yeah, no, obviously, consumers have a duty as well as, you know, you have duties and rights. And one of your duties is to make sure that you, you know, you do keep tabs on these sorts of things. At the end of the day, if we are spending, we're not going to walk away with credit for free um, if we're exceeding our limits and that sort of stuff continually, obviously these sorts of things need to be taken into account as well we're making a decision. But obviously credit providers can't just increase it without informing you. One of the other big things about credit though, and when you end up in debt, um, you know, it's not going to disappear if you just ignore it. That's one of the big things is don't ignore it. Rather try and work it out with wherever the debt is. You know, try and discuss possibly a payment plan or something, but don't just ignore it because it isn't going to go away and you're just going to get yourself into more trouble. Yeah, I think typical um, ostrich syndrome is what I like to call it when we get these letters and um, we decide to ignore them or we get these phone calls. One of the things that consumers need to be aware of is if you do get a call in terms of you know making payment arrangements and that sort of stuff, these things also noted if you do not answer or you just ignore these calls, it, it can relate to a listing on the Bureau. It's better to just face your um, credit providers upfront to advise them of the situation that you're in and try and make an arrangement or approach a debt counsellor if you're finding yourself to be completely over-indebted and you need assistance. Right, James in Mpumalanga, good evening. 
Good evening, James. Good evening. How are you? Very well, thank you. How can we help you, James? Um, I've got a question here. Um, I've been uh, like I'm, I'm. I'm trying to understand if uh, how do you get uh, listed because uh, I've been having this uh, contract with uh, a provider with uh, provides uh, tracking devices for vehicles. So what uh, what happened is that I've sold the vehicles uh, about uh, a year ago, and then I've realized that they were still debiting the the, the account. So I've notified them via the phone that no, uh, the vehicle is no longer with me. They can't debit anymore. And then uh, in that way, I've cancelled the debit order. But later on, uh, I realized that uh, they, they made a debit order of about three, uh, three or four installments at the same time. And then they're trying to find out because I've, I've checked on the contract and to find that you only signed for two years. So now what I've picked up is that... Uh, it was way after two years now that, that the issue happened. So what, what, what's the advice that you can give? I think firstly what I need to advise is a tracker is not necessarily a credit provider. So we would not regulate something which is a service level agreement between two parties. But what you would need to look at, I, I know from experience in terms of service agreements, is, is that generally even though you've signed for two years, they generally have a clause in the agreement which says that you need to give two or three months or one month's notice before an agreement is um cancelled okay. what you would need to do is have a look at it from the sense of saying they would give you an address or an email address where you'd have to cancel telephonic cancellations are not necessarily in terms of the contract a contract generally would specify how one would cancel an agreement but to get back to the question of how you get listed everyone has um, who is a subscriber to a credit pre- bureau has the right to list specific information but a consumer before an adverse listing or an adverse classification is raised the national credit act makes prescription to say that a notification needs to go out to you telling you that uh, a listing is um, pending and that if you do not satisfy the debt or correct uh, the the um ill behavior then a listing will take place so what i would suggest is is if you have an adverse listing or classification and you didn't receive a letter that being you listed as a slow or a bad payer then you can do a challenge to a credit provider or to the credit bureau saying that you did not get the prescribed letter or notice informing you of the listing. If it is just a listing in terms of a payment profile, they do not need to send you notification for that. And I would suggest then you'd first need to sort out the contractual dispute, whether or not the contract has in fact been settled. And if it has, you can still then bring a dispute to the credit bureau and lodge a dispute with them and they have 20 days to investigate that and then remove any information which is incorrect. Okay, no thanks for that. Does that help you, James? Uh, yes, thank you. Okay, well, good luck with that one. Thanks for getting through this evening. Good night All to right, you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. One dealer in Bloemfontein, good evening. Good evening, Karen, and your guest. Hi, how can we help you, one dealer? Um, I don't know, uh, To just to sum it up, who would be having jurisdiction over a credit provider who is also a cellular provider? Would it be ICASA or the NCR? 
cellular providers, when you say they're a credit provider, what do you mean by that? Basically, I've got a dispute with MTN mm-hmm. currently, whereby they claim that I took their product, which I have never applied for any of their products, and they've listed me on a credit uh, bureau. The disputes as to the credit bureau would can be challenged at the credit bureau, and credit bureau listings fall under the national credit regulator as well as the credit umbut. But well, I've, 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 MTN I've itself is a telecommunications agent, which in terms of the act are excluded because if I can put it to you in basic terms, the act prescribes that credit is one where goods and services are given, which MTN would be a service, and interest is charged. Now, interest is not charged on a telecommunications agreement up front. So that is why it would not fall under the National Credit Regulator's mandate, specifically to your dispute as to whether you took the product or not. But the dispute as to whether or not a listing was fair and justifiable would fall under the National Credit Act. And and who would then assist in that because it would be the National Credit Regulator? Well, firstly, you'd need to lodge a dispute with the Credit Bureau concerned. The Act prescribes that anyone that finds that um, they have a listing and they're disputing that listing, the first point of recourse is to approach the Credit Bureau that's holding that information and lodge a formal dispute. The formal dispute takes 20 days to investigate. They do not get sufficient support or evidence to uphold that listing. That listing needs to be removed. And only after that can they then, the next step would be the National Credit Regulator. Of course. Okay. Thanks a lot. Does that help you, Wandile? Well, it gives me another direction. However, when we took up the matter, when I took up the matter with MTN, they told me that, okay, the only party that has got jurisdiction over them was ICASA, Mm -hmm. which didn't really help that much on the matter. And now I'm sitting and I'm stuck with this point in the sense that subsequent to me disputing that with them, they sent me a statement saying, okay, I don't owe them anything. However, the listing still is on the credit bureau, and it's been now 18 months. Uh, this thing has been going on, and uh, the attorneys are requesting this from me, and I'm refusing to give that to them because I believe that could jeopardize me. Well, I mean, if you already have something that says that you don't owe them, I think it would be prudent of you to just send it to the credit bureau that's holding that information with your dispute. But go that route now, Wandile. Don't. Icasa has got nothing to do with this at this point, I don't think, at all. Is it? No, so go to the credit bureau now. Okay, appreciate it. All right, Wandile, good luck yes, to you. Me. Good night. Bye bye. You tuned to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. I'm Karen Key, and this is the Law Report. My guest tonight is Jacqueline Barcher, legal advisor at the National Credit Regulator, and we're discussing your credit. If you have any questions about credit or credit providers, debt review, anything like that, you can call us on 0892-10-2010, Kamohelo in Northwest Province, good evening. How are you? Fine, and you? Fine. Uh, I want to know, I need to work on radio. <laughs> no, it's, are we talking about credit to, to this evening, Kamohelo? Do you have a problem with your credit at all? Hello? Do you have a problem, a credit issue? No, okay. Yeah, I need job for working for him. No, this is not this is not the right forum for that. I'm afraid, Kamakhela. We're talking. Uh, this is the law report program, and we're talking about problems with credit this evening. So uh, we're not going to be able to help you right now, but we do have your number. Okay. Thanks for getting through. 
Good night to you. Gosh, okay, well, that had nothing whatsoever to do with credit. Right, the other thing, we're talking about the debts and things. I was talking about how to survive with debt. And one of the other big things is to prioritize and to pay your debt. And how do you prioritize? What do you actually decide you need to start doing first? In terms of payments? Mm. Well, I believe that, I mean, each debt is a priority. I can't go and say that you should rather pay your bond or your vehicle over another debt. What I would suggest, though, to consumers is to never overextend themselves to the extent that um, if something happens, um, someone becomes ill, there is a change in circumstance, that you've extended yourself to the point that a slight change in circumstance would render you unable to pay your debts. Obviously, circumstances change, people get retrenched, and those things are understandable. But I would always suggest to consumers that paying your debt and equally having an emergency fund or a fund where you have saved cash in for emergencies or liquid cash that can be accessed when something happens would be important. But on a monthly basis, I mean, we should prioritize our expenses over our wants. And we need to always have a look at is something a want or is it a need before we purchase it or enter into an agreement for that. And save for certain things, you know, save for a consumer goods which are not asset building to your family as opposed to getting credit for that. And one of the problems I think that a lot of people do have, though, is if they sort of find themselves in this deep, dark hole of debt, they will sometimes tend to use a credit card to pay off some of the debt and then end up in more trouble. Obviously, that's never advisable, using credit to pay for credit. That would, um, you know, obviously make the situation worse. What one could do is if you find yourself in a situation, approach your credit providers, play open cards with them, and, and see if some sort of arrangement could be made a payment holiday or a restructuring of an agreement. What I do suggest, though, is, is that if you do enter into those sorts of agreements, that it always needs to be in writing because you don't want someone coming back and you've only had a phone call and you have nothing to back up that sort of arrangement that's been made. And that should be in writing from the person that you've spoken to and possibly you could respond in writing confirming that you've had this discussion and this is what was discussed and decided so that you c you've covered all your bases, basically. Of course, of course. And you're not going to end up with a worse situation than you had before you even started. Because that is, I think, where we all end up sometimes is we think we've spoken to somebody on the phone. We've actually had calls like that. We, oh, I spoke to the bank manager and then sort of six months later they find themselves in more trouble because that didn't seem to sort of work out or the, the deal didn't come to fruition and nothing was in writing and everybody's denying haven't spoken to everybody else and it just becomes an issue. I think always having it in writing and being sure that the person that you're dealing with is the authority to transact, the authority to make this sort of arrangement. Um, so therefore, it would always be advisable to say, all right, I'd like an email address or a fax number to put this in writing and to confirm a conversation. Now, we spoke earlier in the program about the National Credit Amendment Bill, which is open for public debate, as you said. And then you mentioned also the removal of Adverse Information Bill. Are those two completely separate things or is one part of the other? How does that actually work, Jacqueline? Well, the removal of Adverse Information Bill is, has already been approved and will come into effect as the 1st of April. It does form part of the bigger bill. Uh, the sections in the National Credit Act have 
been accordingly proposed to be amended and that does form part of the um, national credit bill which is out for comment but obviously that section has already been approved and when are we looking at roughly for the national credit amendment act in its entirety to come into play at this stage i'm not able to comment on that i think you know the due process needs to be followed to allow you know the constitution to be upheld that everyone's comments can be taken into account and any changes, if need be, is made to the bill. Now, you mentioned that people could go onto a website and find out when the public hearings were going to be held. Where would they, where would they go to find that? The contacts would be through the Department of Trade and Industry, which is obviously the um, you know department that we fall under. And um, they would have a, a list of the public hearings that should be available. Okay, so people can find out where it's closest to them if they want to go and have their say there. Yes. Right. Mary in Bathurst, good evening. Good evening. Hi, how can we help you, Mary? Um, I have a problem in that I moved from Johannesburg uh, three years ago. Um, I cleared up with Telcom that I have, uh, uh, that, you know, I put all the forms in um, for them to transfer the phone to the people that were buying my house, and they also put forms through. Um, but, and I actually sold the house in December uh, 2010. I keep getting bills, I keep on getting um, phone calls from lawyers from Telcom saying that there was a bill in February 2011 that I have not paid. Um, I have repeatedly, every time I get a lawyer, um, I tell them to send me my email address and uh, their, their email address and I then send them all the documentation including a letter from the present house owner saying that um, that they paid the bill, that they paid it in Rosebank and a reference number and this goes on and on then those lawyers go away then I get another lot this has gone on for three years and today I really lost my cool because now I've got the credit control people from presumably from Telcom this is the third time this week they phoned me and I just said you know I am so totally fed up with tel Telcom harassing me like this I'd actually really like to sue them if I had the money to do so um, but this problem never seems to go away. Jacqueline, sounds like a bit of a nightmare. What does uh, Mary do now? <laughs> Very irritating. <laughs> I, I sympathise with you. Uh, what I need to say, though, like I said to the previous caller, MTN or your cellular providers or telecommunication is not really credit because, you know, interest is not being charged, so therefore it doesn't actually fall under the rules of the National Credit Act. What well, I would I suggest... They had put actually some interest on at one point. They had um, up the bill from 500 and something to 900 and something. Uh, that would be because uh, if someone has defaulted after the fact, it could become an incidental credit agreement. But up front, the rules of the, the Act would not necessarily apply. In terms of incidental credit agreement, they would need to send notifications before they take legal action against you and that sort of stuff. But yes. The only advice that I could give in this situation is to escalate it higher to, you know, telecom and take it, take it to a higher authority. Unfortunately, I can't see a um, body that would be able to necessarily assist you with this. And I could only think that in terms of telecom and their authority, that you'd need to escalate it higher internally to have yeah. the situation eradicated. 
right. Thank you very much for your help. Good anyway, luck, Mary. Sorry um, we I couldn't help you. I have a small question, but I don't know. Um, I also paid um, 20,000 rand to, to um, the Johannesburg municipality and was supposed to be repaid um, by them. And they have now admitted that they still owe me 8,000 rand, but they, haven't, they don't do anything about paying me back. Is and that... that money sits and gathers interest for them, but not for me. So it seems to me the whole municipal and telecom, <laughs> I mean, a lot of them, if you move house, you know, you really get these problems. That falls under the same thing, I think, Jacqueline, would it not? Yeah, it's utilities. Mm. So utilities are essential services to the consumer of refuse, electricity, telecommunications, that sort of stuff. So the only advice that I once again could give is to escalate it higher in those specific organizations. If you're not getting joy from the you know, credit control departments or those sorts of departments, to just escalate it higher. Okay, thank you so much. Sorry we couldn't help you, Mary. Thank you. I feel okay. your pain, Bye-bye. but sorry we couldn't help you. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Pumla- Pumlani in Peter Marisburg. Good evening. Uh, evening. Uh, listening to your previous call, I think uh, my question is related to, because uh, it deals with, uh, with the service provider in that uh, I have a contract with um, itself, with, with Vodacom. I'm not sure whether uh, what contracts, like when you have a contract with the service provider, and then it has to do with, Guarantees and guarantees and warranties on their goods. Um, can I ask how long is the is the warranty and uh, and the guarantee supposed to last? There's is it for the full duration of the of the, the does it start from the beginning of the contract or does it start once the, uh, the contract has been paid up in full? It would start at the time that the contract has been entered into, but that is something that actually falls under the Consumer Protection Act. And the Consumer Protection Act would deal with warranties, defects on products, those sorts of things. And that can be referred to the National Consumer Commission so that they can investigate it if you feel that the services rendered were not correct or the product was not meeting up to standard. It would fall under the Consumer Protection Act, which could be sent to the National Consumer Commission. Okay, and... uh the, the length of the of the of a warranty, just in general, and and a guarantee. How long is it? Is it supposed to be twelve months, or does it differ, or is it supposed to be? I think offhand, I'm not able to tell you right now. I think it would differ. So I think it's best to speak to the people that are the custodians of that act and who are the experts of the Consumer Protection Act. Okay. Okay, Pumlani. Sorry, we couldn't help you. Good night to you. Bye-bye. If you have any questions to do with credit, because we seem to be taking questions on everything other than credit this evening, <laughs> you can call us on 0892-102010, 0892-102010. And as Jacqueline has said a number of times this evening, we cannot deal with things like service providers, cell phone companies, municipal accounts, those sorts of things. They do not fall under the National Credit Regulator. So if you have anything else like credit agreements, credit cards, credit bureaus, credit defaults, anything to do with your credit please call us on 0892-10-2010. Right, Marius in Durban, good evening. Uh, good evening, Karen, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I can't complain, man. Um, I've got a couple of uh, bank accounts um, that I need to query uh, with regards uh, um, check account and credit card uh, extension of credit that I received. And when I made the applications, there were no checks to see whether I had traceable income. 
my employees went contacted uh, and in that time i uh, felt unemployed and weren't able to pay those bills now who carries the risk in in, in regards to these uh, accounts if uh, the correct procedures weren't followed um now i have law firms uh, on my back and uh, they have accumulated interest against me uh, i've been telephonically harassed about these issues uh, i truly need some input how to proceed uh, to see whether during these applications the correct procedures were, were taken before the um, credit was allocated firstly what you could do is you could actually approach the national credit regulator and lodge a formal dispute so that we can have a look at whether the correct procedures were followed. In terms of the National Credit Act, an affordability assessment needs to be done. You need to have a look at a consumer's income expenditure and um, assess that would this credit extension create that the consumer becomes over-indebted or is the consumer already over-indebted? One of the things that you do need to take into account, though, is that the Act does prescribe that if a consumer in any way misled, and now I'm not saying that you did, I'm just speaking in general, if a consumer misled a credit provider, that it may be used as a defense to any reckless lending allegation. In very many instances, consumers do sign and say, right, I do have this earnings, I do have these expenses, and... um, there are certain things that the credit provider just needs to take your word for it. They cannot actually ascertain how much you spend on groceries, those sorts of things. So that's why affordability assessment guidelines have been drafted to try and eradicate some of these situations. But at this point in time, I mean, they would need to confirm, are you employed? Is your earnings which you've disclosed correct by virtue of a bank statement, a pay slip, those sorts of things. They have to be um, objective and they have to be impartial when they do affordability assessments. When they did this uh, um, assessment, I was uh, asked uh, the questions regarding the employment um, part and then um, the guy said, you you must not drop me in the trouble here. Um, Can you afford this? Uh, I would have thought that they would have done a bit more in investigating whether I actually had an income. Were you and, were you employed at the time, Marius? At that time, I was at my uh, end of my employment with the company. Did you were you aware that your employment was coming to an end? Yes, I was, and uh, I provided a, a payslip of of that specific month, and I also uh, provided my potential income into uh, a, a possible business that I was going to engage in. So there was uh, both documents uh, provided for the credit application. So you advising that you were no longer going to work with this other company? Um, yes, I did. Um, with my Wilbur's account, I exactly expressed that... Um, this is my potential income that I'm going to uh, foresee coming forth. And the lady said to me, are you sure you're not going to drop me into trouble? And they granted me the credit. Uh, I've got one question concerning the format that is required to approach a national credit regulator. Uh, how would you want the information um, stipulated in the document? Do I need to provide you with the account numbers? Uh, and the details pertaining to the credit application, what is the requirement? 
How we, we propose a consumer's lodge a complaint with us is obviously in writing to put your full names, your ID number, who the complaint is against and give us as much detail as possible because we don't want to be uh, reading in facts. It would rather be that you give us enough detail so that once off we can obviously make an assertion. And then on our website, we also have what's called a Form 29, which is the statutory form which needs to be completed by a consumer when they lodge a complaint. It's a complaint initiation form. If you don't have access to internet, you can obviously call us and we can send it through to you. Where would I find that form on, on the webpage itself? On the National Credit Regulators website. Is there, is there a link to it? To the what? To the document? That's good it is. Jacqueline? It would be under standard forms and um, if you put it, go to the complaints tab, it should be there as well. Okay, I will follow this procedure. Thank you very much uh, for your help. Thank you, Marius. It's such a pleasure. Good night to you. Just a question on that issue, Jacqueline. Though. I mean, if he's I told them that he was uh, he was going to be finishing work there and he was going to have a new business and this was his projected income, where is the fault here? Well, they should should they have gone further and checked out what the comp- I mean, the place giving him credit. Should they have gone further than just looking at the documentation that he provided? I think a business assessment would have been done. It's quite a unique sort of situation. It's not the -the run-of-the-mill credit application Mm. that we're speaking about. They'd have to look at things like um, projected earnings, proposed earnings, um, and then, you know, the risk which is associated to that, the risk to the consumer and to them. Right, so as long as he just puts all that down, somebody will take a look at it and um, tell him what he's possibilities are here of, of resolving this issue? Well, we'd put it to the credit provider and mm. get their inputs first and then obviously have a look at both party sides and then make a judgment call on it. Right, Frank in KwaZulu-Natal, good evening. Evening, how are you? Fine, thank you. And you, Frank? I'm fine, yes. Uh, it's Frank here in Kazakhstan. Uh, I'd like to check, uh, I have a question. Okay. Uh, my credit profile is, is very bad. I once borrowed the money from one of the banks uh, and I lost all my job. Now I am uh, working again and I'm repaying the, the, the bill. So now I'm checking, where can, is it possible for my profile to be, uh, will I be able to get uh, a credit again if once I, I, I finish paying the bill? The first thing is obviously you need to understand the removal of adverse information bill has been passed and will come into effect as the 1st of April. So if it is that the information is just adverse listings, you've, it says you're a bad payer, you're a slow payer, that information will be removed. If it's judgments, you're going to have to pay those judgments first for the listing to be removed. Then credit providers will obviously also have a look at how you're managing other accounts. So what we always suggest to consumers is once they have sort of sorted out their finances and um, they've settled specific debts, to get smaller accounts, a, a small account which is, um, you know, accessible and you can pay it off quickly on a monthly basis, a credit facility, for example, a store card. And that will give an indication also to credit providers how you are currently managing your debt. But don't go get more debt until you've settled the existing debt obligations or once you are 100% certain that you can manage the debt obligations that you have. 
Okay. Frank, did you have a judgment taken out? Was was there a judgment against you for the money no. that you're owing now? Yes, yes, I still owe the money. Yes, but was there a judgment, a legal judgment taken out against you? No, no, no. Uh, Jacqueline, could you just explain what the legal judgment or the judgment is? A judgment, Frank, is where they have taken you to court and the court has then um, done a court order against you. You would have got a summons, you would have got documents from the sheriff of the court, a garnishee order is sometimes a court order which is listed on a credit bureau. So if you don't have anything like that and you're just saying that your credit profile is bad, what I would suggest is that... You know, you pull your credit profile and you just have a look exactly what the information is to make sure is there judgments, is there adverse information, and then you'd obviously have a clearer picture. But if there's no judgments there, then obviously the adverse information will be removed. So you didn't go to court or anything, Frank? So, so such information is available on their credit profiles? Yes, you can approach any of the credit bureaus, uh, and then request your credit report. You're entitled to one free credit report per year. Then I'll, I'll see everything there. Everything will be there. And obviously, if there's information that you don't agree with, you just lodge a dispute with that credit bureau yeah. and then they need yeah. to investigate because, it. Because I, I've never been in court, but I've, I've been receiving letters from lawyers saying that I must pay the bill, I must pay the bill. This is sometimes just letters of demands, demands being made to say that it's impending legal action. So I think the best is to obviously, and that's to all consumers, know your credit status, know your credit health. And the only way one can do that is to pull a credit report and see exactly what's listed there. Because sometimes legal action is taken and those legal documents were served on a property which you used to live at and you did not formally change that and you're not aware that legal action was taken against you. So it's always important to just pull that because the credit bureaus get information directly from the courts. So I think every consumer should pull their credit report and obviously know their credit status. Okay, then for the first time when I when I want to pull my credit report, is it payable or need to pay? No, it's free. You're, you're allowed one free credit report per year. Okay, okay, okay. No, thanks. I, I'm, I'm clear. Yeah. So it's starting to sound a little better there, Frank. Yes, yes. Good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and thanks, stay Frank. out of debt, Frank. Okay, bye. Okay, bye now. Bye-bye. Right, Colin in Discovery, good evening. Hi there. Hi, how can we help you, Colin? Right, um, I've got a question as well. Um, I had a a car finance with West Bank in 2005, and 2007 the car was stolen, and I continued paying but fell behind with the payments and then got blacklisted by West Bank. When I called him, they informed me that they wrote off the amount, the outstanding amount, as bad debt. And um, because I was blacklisted, I stopped paying. So I was blacklisted for five years, couldn't take any debts, any accounts, nothing. Since then, obviously, my name was clear that I was able to get a bond, vehicle finance, everything else is fine. All of a sudden, recently, about a year ago, I started getting calls from an attorney, you know, these firms that have, seems like now, taken over that debt um, and trying to collect this money for me. So my understanding is that I've been blacklisted already. Um, Can they still collect this money for me 10 years later? When you say you were listed for five years, I'm assuming then that a judgment was taken against you. 
Yeah. See, a judgment does not prescribe. A judgment is valid for 30 years. So you are entitled to claim on a judgment. And remember, in certain instances, when a debt is listed as bad debt written off or um, a credit provider says bad debt, it is actually just an accounting principle. You actually have a credit agreement. You have agreed to pay a certain amount and you're still indebted to it. Unless they formally say to you, you no longer owe them. But in terms of a judgment, they would need to... They are entitled to collect on a judgment for 30 years. So what confuses me is, since then, I financed another car with West Bank. They gave me the finance. They financed, actually not a car, I bought a motorcycle. And they financed it, and I've been paying that. So, um, my, you know, from what I'm, the way I look at it is, I always bank the money. How could they then give me finance again for another uh, vehicle? Um, and then at the same time, try and collect debt from me or, or money that I owe from a vehicle that was stolen and they wrote off as bad debt. Well, obviously, they'd need to have a look at affordability. And one would need to look at affordability to see, uh, did they take this into account, the debts that you already owed? Uh, when the credit was extended and are you now sitting in a situation that credit has been extended to you but you're no longer able to pay it in lieu of this pre-existing judgment or this pre-existing debt which um, should have been taken into account. Remember something, having a judgment does not necessarily mean that someone is barred from giving you credit. If they have had a look at your affordability and they believe that you've managed other accounts well or your current standing on the credit bureau is good and your earnings are good they are still entitled to give you credit but i think the angle that one would need to look at it is in terms of affordability and can you afford this and had they taken this debt into account could you afford this loan so, Colin, I'm going to, unfortunately, okay. I'm going to have to say goodnight. We are really, literally a minute before the end of the show, and I'm yeah, going to have no, to thank you fine. so much for getting through, and good luck with that. Thank but don't, you. I think go Thanks. and speak to West Bank. Thanks, Colin. Thanks for getting through. Good night to you. Well, my thanks once again this evening to Jacqueline Barcher, legal advisor at the National Credit Regulator, and she's been my guest on tonight's edition of the Law Report program. Jacqueline, thank you very much indeed for joining us, and sorry we had a range of questions other than credit. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Law Report is on the air on SAFM every Monday evening between 9 and 10. And a reminder that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page, Law on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please remember to include your email address. Or if you don't have access to Facebook, email me on law at safm.co.za and I'll send you a copy of the list so you can choose what you want. Now for the exciting news, in next week's program, we'll once again be joined by Mark Kingon, SARS Group Executive Operational Service. Services, escalations and support. So if you have any questions regarding your tax, make sure you tune into the show next week. That's the Law Report next Monday, the 24th of March. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening, just after nine, with Health Matters. So join me then. But right now, it's time for Stephen Kirker and some late night music. Hello, Stephen. I'm not going to ask her for a loan at all. Or you. Stay out of credit trouble. Thank you very much, Karen. Anyway, I'm with you until... Midnight, it's SAFM's night time, music chilling out on a Monday night before we get into the chilled out sounds. It is, though, time for the news.